Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand just a little more about how the other side thinks. This time we're talking about service contracts, and you'll learn just how complicated this type of acquisition can be. Today's episode is brought to you by ProPricer, the number one proposal pricing and cost analysis software used by federal agencies and small to large government contractors. Learn more by visiting ProPricer.com slash podcast. ProPricer now offers a proposal pricing solution specifically for services contractors. It's called the Services Contractor Edition. With just a few mouse clicks, you can manipulate rates, set annual caps, even create annual work schedules. You now have the ability to account for PTO and holidays, all while maintaining the accuracy of your rates throughout your cost proposal. ProPricer's Services Contractor Edition offers all that and much more. So if you're familiar with ProPricer, but always said, oh, I'm a services contractor, it doesn't have the features I need, this solves that problem. We got a demo of the product at the Government Contract Pricing Summit, and it is awesome. It solves all those problems and more. If you haven't seen it, you need to get a demo now. Learn more about how the new Services Contractor Edition can help you get more done in less time by visiting ProPricer.com slash podcast. Okay, let's get started with our conversation about service contracts. So it's funny when we're building the content for podcasts, we talk about what's going on in our lives. We really haven't talked about service contracting. I haven't been no. involved in much of it lately, so we, you haven't either, so we, we haven't gone there. But it's actually crazy how many service contractors there are in the federal government. What is the number? And- and the, the funny thing is, nobody knows. Uh, I've I've searched. Uh, Congress has searched. There have been studies. As far as I can tell, nobody really knows. Yeah. It's a lot. All, all kinds of data collection tasks within the government. I remember all the data calls trying to figure that out, and it, it's really hard. Big picture, the government spends more on services than buying products. I know you've bought a lot of different services while, while you were in the government, right? I mean, I've had services from moving libraries to training helicopter pilots, security guards, IT services, and software maintenance, um, and then just analyzing data, all kinds of, of, of different information, just to support folks. And then, of course, we had people that were helping manage source selections with me. So a lot of services that we bought, and a lot of our clients are service contractors. So there's, there's a lot of activity. And, and you bought all kinds of stuff, too. Yeah, operations and maintenance for, for air, from aircraft to to government sites, the operations and maintenance of a, of a whole government site. I bought the program office support, you know, administrative people that, that help the program office function, financial managers, a subject matter, matter, bleh, subject matter expertise, right? <laughs> engineers and super smart people that help the government understand what they're buying. And even contracts administration support. Yes, the government buys contracts administrators there's not enough government people there's not enough 1102s out there to use the the term what is that a job classification code that that, uh, us contract professionals were in the government actually supplements that with contracts administrators that are from industry and that's a kind of services contract so it it's crazy that we've made it to almost 100 episodes and haven't really focused yet on service contracts so let's do that. Before we start, let's say thanks. I want to say thanks to a couple of people who have been really active in sharing our content on LinkedIn. 
and liking it and helping other people find it more quickly. And so uh, Brian Kopic and Carol Hardiker, uh, really helpful in over the last couple of years of making it easier for people to find our content, specifically on LinkedIn. So thanks for that. Okay, moving into FAR time. Today, service contract, FAR 37.101. I'm going to read the definition of service contract. That sounds exciting. It's going to (laughs) be. Service contract means a contract that directly engages the time and effort of a contractor whose primary purpose is to perform an identifiable task rather than to furnish an end item of supply. So think about that for a minute. You're not buying, deliver me three of these things in a box. Yeah, this is, this is people, like the idea of identifiable task. And we're going to talk a lot about the, the term identifiable task. It's, it's easier to say than it is right. to do. There's different kinds of services contracts. First, a services contract can be non-personal services or personal services. And that's kind of a weird phrase that I think is a government-y kind of thing. It's worth talking about the difference. Personal services are generally not allowed in the government world. And a personal service is where a government person has a direct supervisory role over a contractor person. Most of the time, what we buy are non-personal services where the government has direct contact with the contractor program manager, but not with the people actually doing the work. The flow has to be from government program manager to contractor program manager to the people doing the tasks at hand. Personal services is different. This is where the government directly tasks a contractor employee. And it's a slippery slope, so we'll, we'll, we'll do a whole separate podcast about that one. So keep going. Services contracts can also be professional services or non-professional services. Think about that in general terms as the blue-collar versus white-collar kind of work. Services contracts can be on an individual basis or an organizational basis. And the last thing I want to say about this is services contracts cannot be for the acquisition of inherently governmental functions. And this is an important topic that probably deserves an episode of its own as well, Kevin. Inherently governmental means it's intimately related to the public interest. I'm reading that out of the far, by the way. I like that. And intimately related to the public interest means this is a decision maker. An inherently governmental task is one that requires a decision to be made, and only government employees can actually make those decisions. For example, actually making the source selection decision, deciding after a competition, who is going to win is a government official's job. A contractor can't do that for obvious reasons. That authority lies with the government. All right, let me run through real quickly some of the areas that that service contracts are found. This is straight out of the FAR. Maintenance, overhaul, repair, servicing, rehabilitation, salvage, modernization, or modification of supplies, systems, or equipment. So that's operations and maintenance kind of stuff. Routine recurring, <laughs> ma- right. Routine recurring maintenance of real property, housekeeping and base services, advisory and assistance services, that's that program office support kind of stuff, operation of government-owned equipment, real property, and systems, communication services, architect and engineering services, transportation. There's a lot of them. And when you're thinking about these services, it's important to understand this is across all of the acquisition time zones and all of the execution time zones. 
So one of the cooler contracts that I had was for uh, managing a lot of the, the, the base services for Ascension Island, which is this little island that sits in, in the middle of the Atlantic between Africa and Brazil, and it's a tracking station for space launch kind of stuff. And they had to make sure that the water was drinkable. That's a service they're providing, making sure that all the stuff on this base works, including making the water, which it was really good water, by the way, because they, they, they made it, uh, <laughs> it very clean. But that's the, the point, is that requ- writing the requirement for that is is a is a very different exercise than I need a jet to go you know Mach one point two. Yep, and that follows through the market research zone. Is there anybody that can actually purify water on Ascension Island? Then you have to write an RFP. You have to choose a source. Then we move to the execution time zones, and you start it. You have to perform it. Are they actually purifying the water as you expected them to, as you required them to? And then after a few years, hey, we can't keep doing sole source to the same person, can we, Kevin? No, <laughs> no we so we got to think about That's recompeting it. it because you're still going to need drinkable water on the island. That's right. Why is it important to talk about services contracts? Services contracting, it's, it's a different animal in a lot of ways than buying commodities or, or developing systems. And to me, the one that jumps out, it's, it's recurring usually. I mean, once you have a service, more often than not, it's a continuing service. So you end up having to recompete it. And so that's what we end up with these five-year contracts. And that's why the, a lot of times, a lot of the proposals that we write are for service contracts because they're competed more often. In the services area, it's hard to gain that competitive advantage and keep it in a way that, that the government can justify a sole source contract, that you're the only person that can do this service. To farther complicate it, services are bought generally with one-year money. This goes back to the Colors of Money episode we did. You can only buy one year's worth of services with your money. And this is why the standard format for these contracts, lots of times it's a base year plus four option years because five years seems to be about as long as you can justify going with a single contract without reassessing and recompeting. But you can't actually buy five years of services because you don't have money available five years in advance. You get your money if you're on the government side, you get your money in annual increments, you can't obligate yourself ahead of getting that money. So when you get the money, you exercise the option and you continue on. Another issue, and this is the main deal why services contracts are tough, the deliverable is an end task, the results of a task actually. And you're talking about people that are doing this. So it's, it's very difficult to write the requirement or the statement of work to describe the end result that you want to achieve without telling industry how to do the job. Because if you just tell them how to do the job, they could do exactly what you said and still not get you the end result you want. So you're trying to write to the end result, right? Think about this. Imagine trying to write the spec, the requirement to get your house cleaned. Starting with a blank sheet of paper how would you describe the end result of, I want my house to be clean? First of all, every, everyone has a different definition of what a clean house is, right? And everybody on the acquisition team is going to have a different definition of what <laughs> right. clean is. Right. So how do you describe that? How do you describe what is a clean window? How do you describe what's a clean floor? You say, you, contractor, you need to vacuum the floors once a week. 
Well, and, and here's where it gets fun because that was a task that you just described. And so there's this concept called performance-based service contracts. PBSC is a big, it's, a, it's actually an acronym. It's, it's used enough. And the idea is a performance-based service contract is results-based. Going back to your point of how clean is the window? Well, you pick some standard of, you, you almost want to say things like be able to see out the window easily. Or I don't know, that's a, we'll think of some better way to say it than that. But that, the goal is to be able to see out of the window as a, or, or have a clean floor. To tell the contractor you got to sleep it once a week, they may have some whiz bang super awesome vacuum that they only have to sweep it once a month, and it sucks up you know everything. I don't know, but that's the, that's what I mean by this performance based service contract. You got to tell them what's the result you want, and, and how, how do you describe that result? That's so difficult, right? So yes, I want the floor to be clean, so a vacuum could clean it. They could have push brooms. They could have people down on their hands and knees with tweezers picking up every little speck of dirt. What's the end result? What is clean? That's very difficult to say. And that's why sometimes they default to you have to vacuum once a week and it has to meet a generally accepted standard of clean, right? It's, it's so hard to do that. And, and so take this concept and apply it to training services and to uh, in, intelligence analysis and to IT management and to software service management and you pick a service and cleaning, you know, and, 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 and it's the same thing. It's to say, oh, well, we, we need the, we need the network to be secure. So we need a cybersecurity company to secure it. Uh, well, problem number one with that, honestly, is the tasks that it takes to secure it change all the time. Cause that's a, a mobile, I mean, that, that market is developing quickly. Right. Yep. So, and what is secure? It, right. It, There's gotta be some so standard. Hard. We, gotta, we gotta agree on it and write it down. And yeah, it's, it's all right. So we can that's, agree. That's why this is hard. <laughs> Yes, exactly. We can agree that it's sometimes done well and it's sometimes done poorly. And I will point out that it, when it is done well, it is done collaboratively with industry and government. And so that communication one-on-one right here. Back this, to our this, theme. The, communicate, yeah, communicate, you, communicate. And I'm raising my hand. The service contracts that I screwed up are the ones that we went into a black hole and we said, okay, this is how it's going to happen. Here you go, industry. Here's the RFP. And they're like, what the? Yeah, that's not going to work. And it was <laughs> protests. And yeah. And I'm, but so, yeah, from, from experience, start, these are, you, you hear me foot stomping the idea of communicate. What can industry do? How are they judged? What's their definition of clean windows? Ask them so that you're not trying to put the plan together while you're taking off. Which is what the <laughs> because like. you don't take off if you're doing that. Oh, well, we've done it. <laughs> yeah. What you're actually talking about is you, you shifted right into why should the government care so much about this stuff? And th- there's essentially, there's four different flavors of contracts, products, services, research and development, and construction. It is very difficult to be an expert in all of those. There are experts in each of them, and there's generalists that know something about all of them, but there's very few people that are experts in all of those things. The reason that sometimes services contracts are done poorly is because the people involved don't have the depth in the services world. Yeah, and so my, my story is that I went from buying major systems at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and then I went to Patrick Air Force Base and helped manage uh, the, the, the range services contract there. Oh, poor people at Patrick. <laughs> and you know, we fortunately I was working on it for a little while before I got my warrant and, but, but, but it was a learning it was a learning curve because now we you know I mean honestly it was the first major services contract with wage determinations and all that kind of stuff and these are terms that you know I'd heard I took took training on I'm sure I mean I went to con 101 but it's different 
And so don't assume that you can just plug somebody from, okay, you were working on buying satellites to now you're going to work on you know, a service contract act, or actually it's got a new name for it now, but you're going to work on a, a pure service contract. They're, they're, the laws behind them are different. And same thing with R&D and construction. I mean, the people that the construction contracting world is, it's, it's different. There, there are lots of things that the impact and, and rules and, and that's Shelley's why the a, FAR a, makes such an excellent doorstop. There's lots <laughs> of regulations right. involved in it, right? Yeah, these, these industries end up being different. So let's talk about the industry side. Why should industry care about this? Most companies are either services or commodities or development, but there's a lot of big companies and, and some small ones too that do both. And the reason it's like important is this is where you get to organizational conflict of interest. And we have a whole episode on that as well. But organizational conflict of interest happens when you are doing that program office support. You're doing advisory and assistance services in an office, and you also want to deliver products or services to that office. So the people that are advising the program office or evaluating the test results, helping to evaluate the test results, cannot be people that work for your company if you are delivering what's being tested or delivering something to that program office. That's your conflict of interest. And, and be careful that your whole team, the whole acquisition and the contract team knows the difference because this OCI thing is, it, it, it plays out in, in through that exercise you just described. But understand the difference between a service contract and a product. The, the acquisition people, the program managers, the engineers, when one day the engineer is working on a developmental pro- program where they're making something cool is going to result in a product, but then they may be the next year, they move over to a different task where they're now working on a service contract supporting the government. To them, it's just, hey, I'm an engineer, I'm doing cool stuff. They may, they're probably not even aware that, that they, they're now under a different set of rules. And so make sure they know. <laughs> so one other thing to point out here is that the, the tempo of, for example, a service contract with task orders. That's why on these major task order contracts where it's a multi-award indefinite quantity type of thing where there's multiple contractors competing on each task order – Sometimes the tempo of task order releases and the number of them require that each industry contractor has a program management office that does nothing but manage the influx of new things to bid on and then manage the administration of all these contracts afterwards. So it, it's completely different than developing a product or delivering a commodity. Also remember that agencies buy things differently. Industry needs to recognize that each agency – buy services sometimes the same way, sometimes different ways. Depends on the history of how they've done it before. It depends on the people involved. Remember that even if you think you know your agency, know your people. You might get a Kevin who just showed up at Patrick Air Force Base and doesn't really know much about services yet because the last thing he bought was an airplane. If you get to know Kevin, you <laughs> could recognize that, and that might change the way you bid. That's targeting, right? It's, it's not just the agency. It's the people involved. Because at the end of the day, people are doing the work. Okay, let's wrap this up with some important safety tips for services contracts. <laughs> Sounds like you're getting on an airplane. I know, I know, I know. If you are getting into the services contracting world, or if you're there, from the government or industry side, it's the same. Be ready for the transition phase. If it's a five-year contract and you have a new contractor coming in, is there a crossover period? Is there some time a ramp up and ramp down between the new and old contractors? you got to remember for that, you're going to be paying double 
for a time if that's the case. You got to remember that in the budget. You also have to remember that there's people on the way out that might not be happy about being on the way out. And there's people on the way in that don't know as much. Maybe there should be some incentive in there for those people to cooperate along the way so you don't have them, you know, essentially burning the fields on their way out. Awkward. Also, be ready to recompete it. If if it's a five-year contract or a year with a base year with five options, at the beginning of the fourth year, if you're not already thinking about what happens after the end of the fifth year, you might be too late. So if you're on the industry side, this is where you're targeting and shaping. If you're on the government side, this is where your acquisition planning is beginning. How are we going to do this? Is it going to be a sole source extension? Is it going to be a full and open competition, small business set aside? Time to think about these things is long before you get to the end or what happens, you end up extending the current one and then doing everything under the gun because you're already late. And that's why there's an entire recompete zone about this very topic. And remember, we go back to the idea of these are people doing the work. And so this, this is a service contract, so they can get very emotional. Um, and here's what I mean by that. We had a, a contract, and, and my contract specialist was a contractor. And her contract only had about six months left of funding. And for they were going along, going along, and they're funding it three months at a time. And I need her in order to get source selections done, and everybody knows that, et cetera. But from her perspective, think about how that feels. As I'm basically telling you, okay, you got a job for like six more months and then three months goes by. Like, okay, we think we got three more months. We may have three months after that. What's she doing? She's looking for a job somewhere else. She's right? looking for something secure. Got to feed yeah, the kids. Exactly. She's got, you know, she's got the rest of her life. So this is personal. So don't just treat people like their bodies on service contracts. And I know we don't think we're doing that, but that's an example. Yeah. Nobody thought they were doing that, but at the ground level where we live, at the ground level on contracts, that's how this can play out. And yeah. this is service contracts is where you see this more than anything. We, we talk about supply chain management a lot when you're thinking about products, but in this case, the people are the supply, and if you're not paying attention to the fact that people have real concerns about that kind of stuff, you might have trouble, especially the very end of a contract period of performance. If you are transitioning to a new services contractor, how does the old services contractor retain all its people during a two-month transition period? Right, Those people are already making sure that they have a job and they may not be able to time it in advance. When they get a new job, they're going to leave. And this is why it's tough to administer services contracts on both sides. It's people. These are things that you have to pay attention to. Do not ignore the intricacies of contract administration on services contracts. And the last thing I'd like to say to wrap this up is supply and demand, the ancient law of supply and demand Ancient law. Rules here. You can't, you can't get around the fact that this is all about supply and demand. If you want the lowest price, if you want to pay the lowest price government, recognize that you're going to get what you pay for. If you want to pay a price premium, you're going to get what you pay for. You can't ignore the fact that people can work outside the government contracting world too. They have choices. So if you're trying to buy a service that is in high demand in the commercial world – you're competing with not only the, the, all the other government agencies for those resources, but you're competing with the commercial world too. Supply and demand rules. If you want to pay the lowest price, you will get the services that are obtainable for the lowest price. That makes sense. I'm trying not to be mean here. No, I, don't, I don't think it's mean. I think it's the idea of 
what I didn't see as a contracting officer, I didn't see as clearly as I do now, is that it's one thing to say that Boeing and Lockheed and, and Raytheon are competing for the same people. It's a different sentence when you say Boeing, Raytheon, and Google are competing for the same people. I never thought of it that way, and that's what you're saying. Is if, if, you, if you want software developers, that's what you're competing against. If you want anybody that does a lot, other, there are very few things that only the government buys, and they're tied around major systems. Okay, that's a different conversation. But there are lots of skills that fall up in, under service contract. We talked about this. The government spends more money on service contracts than on, on products, right? So we as a, we as a, I mean, this is a service economy, and there's a whole different story behind that, that, that you go research it, and you see that services is something that we as, a, as an economy do. And so not just... IT, but things you don't even think, like the account management people, the overhead people. If you're, a, if you're an accountant and you have a specialized, if you're a CPA and you understand how government contracts work, you can work for a government contractor. But you know what? You're still a CPA. <laughs> you can work for your other companies. And, and that's an overhead. That's not even something that's direct billable to your contract. So that's what I'm saying is that the more you compress that, that margin of, of extra um, money to pay for more things in a service contract, you, you risk running into a price floor. And again, I did not see that as clearly when I was on the inside because I didn't think in terms of, oh, wow, this company can work for my contractor or he can go work for a slew of commercial contracts. Yeah, that's, I got wrapped up in that too. What, what is fair and reasonable? That seems like a whole lot of money for an engineer. But yeah, that's what the outside world is paying for those guys. So if you want them, that's what you have to pay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun topic to digest. Or, no, it's a fun topic to dissect. Fun, frustrating. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right, if you're curious about more community content, by the way, we do a free webinar every Friday. Go to skywaywebinar.com, and you can uh, register for it. And we only have 25 seats because it's interactive. It's live. Also, join us on the Contracting Officer Podcast Network Group on LinkedIn. You get the latest updates on the podcast episodes when they come out. I post in there every week. Plus, you can see all the other people who are listening to the podcast, and it gives you a great opportunity to network with people who are trying to learn this market just like you. Don't forget that most of our topics are driven by listeners. Send me your topic ideas at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. All right, Kevin, I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. That's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. This episode was brought to you by ProPricer. Don't forget to check them out at ProPricer.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget that most of our topics are driven or... Wow. Driven or... Fail. <laughs> Help! <laughs>